Public hearings begin, and we review the supposedly bombshell testimony of the Democratic witnesses. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why have you not gotten a VPN yet? Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, we got a ton to get to today. I'll tell you a little bit later on in the show about how things went at Boston University last night. It was pretty interesting, and I think a lot of fun. But of course, we begin with the news of the day, which is all the fallout from yesterday's bombshell testimony. So much bombshell. Okay, so here is the way that the New York Times is covering this thing. Their headline says, Behind a Star Witness, Democrats Take Their Impeachment Case to the Public. Ooh, ah, a star witness. They say their goal is to transform what might seem like an abstract debate over foreign policy into high crimes and misdemeanors in the public mind. As Republicans argue, there is no case for impeachment. Peter Baker is the writer. He says, William Taylor was the witness that Democrats had hoped Robert Mueller would be, but was not. The image, at least, of a wise, fatherly figure with Kevlar credibility, expressing restrained but unmistakable disapproval of what he found when he turned over the rock. This is objective media coverage right here. So much journalism. House Democrats let off their highly anticipated impeachment hearings on Wednesday with a figure projecting probity, a combat veteran turned career diplomat who narrated with a deep baritone voice reminiscent of Walter Cronkite's what he saw as the corruption of American foreign policy to advance President Trump's personal political interests. It was not clear that minds were changed. Well, shouldn't you lead with that, right? Like, isn't that the question? Is whether any minds were changed or whether the testimony itself changed anything or offered anything that was bombshell anew as opposed to, he appeared to be a gray fox, this William Taylor fellow patriotic, stolid man. This was a hero of the Republic. And because we, we've heard the hero of the Republic routine before from the media, it didn't change anything. A James Comey, hero of the Republic. Andrew McCabe, hero of the Republic. Vindman, hero of the Republic. And now it's William Taylor, hero of the Republic. Now, listen, you look at his public service, the guy is, in fact, a hero of the Republic for his public service. But that does not mean that he testified as to anything impeachable yesterday. And yet the media are making this out to be really about the optics. And that, in the end, really is sort of, it, it betrays the agenda. The agenda here is that this is all about the optics and not about anything new. Nothing new has actually happened here. That's the dirty little secret, because we're going to go through the testimony yesterday and nothing new, no new ground was broken. Instead, it was all the same ground that we've heard before, sort of trod over repeatedly. And so in terms of substance, I don't think the American people are going to hear anything new that changes their mind. But in terms of optics, the Democrats are hoping that if they bring out a bunch of gravelly voiced, very somber speakers who have long histories in American foreign policy, then this will somehow turn the American public against Trump. Well, if people cared about that, Trump wouldn't be president. And let's face this thing, okay? Donald Trump was not elected because people had a ton of respect for America's institutions. <laughs> he, was, he was elected specifically because people did not have a ton of respect in America's institutions. And putting out somebody with Walter Cronkite's voice isn't going to change any of that, just on a purely political level. Okay, but the New York Times says, it was not clear that minds were changed. Certainly they were not inside the room and most likely not elsewhere on Capitol Hill, where Republicans and Democrats were locked into their positions long ago. Nor were there any immediate signs that the hearing penetrated the general public. While major television networks broke into regular programming to carry it live, there was little sense of a riveted country putting everything aside to watch, a la Watergate. Okay, so then what are we talking about? And I love this line. This is my favorite line from the New York Times. It's just spectacular. But whether or not voters were watching, history certainly was. What the F is that supposed to mean? History was watching. What is that? Like, seriously, what does that mean? History was watching. History is watching everything. History is watching you on the toilet. <laughs> if by history is watching, you mean that history is something that happens and then people later read about it, that could be anything, right? It could be any history was, well, I mean, if history was watching, that changes everything, New York Times. 
You've changed everything, New York Times. Amazing. Over the course of five hours of relatively sober testimony, interrupted by fewer partisan histrionics than might have been expected, Mr. Taylor, the top American diplomat in Ukraine, and George Kent, a deputy assistant secretary of state, according to the New York Times, laid out what they saw of the president's efforts to pressure a foreign power to provide damaging information about his Democratic rivals. Mr. Taylor was the star witness Democrats have sought for a long time. As opposed to Mueller, who sort of bumbled and fumbled and looked old. Like Mr. Mueller, Mr. Taylor, 72, is a septuagenarian Vietnam veteran with a chiseled face and reassuring gray hair. I, I didn't realize that, that gray hair was reassuring. I'll have to tell my wife about that as I, as I age here. My hair is reassuring. That's some solid writing right there. Reassuring gray hair. When was the last time you were like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Oh, thank God, a man with gray hair. Ah, oh, I'm so reassured now. A chiseled face and reassuring gray hair after a lifetime of service to his country. But where Mr. Mueller seemed unsteady and uncertain last summer when he testified about his special counsel investigation into Russian interference, Mr. Taylor came across as calm, confident, and in command. Ooh, alliteration. Calm, confident, cool, collected, in command of the facts as he knew them. With a more in sadness than anger tone, he told lawmakers that in decades of public service under administrations of both parties, he had never seen any president warp foreign policy for his own personal advantage the way Mr. Trump tried to do. But Mr. Taylor was careful to retain an official neutrality on what Congress should do with his testimony. And when lawmakers tried to goad him into taking a more political stance, he smiled serenely and declined to take the bait. Okay, so th this was the take from The New York Times. And the take from The Washington Post was quite similar. The take from the Washington Post says new testimony ties Trump more directly to Ukraine pressure campaign. Elise Vibeck reporting, after weeks in which President Trump's top aides have figured as the major players in the Ukraine narrative, testimony in the first few hours of the public impeachment hearings Wednesday thrust Trump himself back to center stage. Acting ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor, told lawmakers about a previously unknown effort by the president to make sure Ukraine was looking into his political opponents. A phone conversation he said Trump had with the top U.S. diplomat, asking about the status of the investigations. The phone conversations described by Taylor gave Democrats a chance to renew questions about Trump's personal involvement in the effort to push Ukraine to investigate his political opponents while the United States withheld security assistance and a sought-after White House meeting. And we'll hear about exactly what Taylor had to say on this in just one second. Okay, but the, the media are trying to claim basically that the testimony, even though it didn't change things, it probably should change things, even though it made things... It didn't make things any different, even though there wasn't anything new. There was something brand new. We'll get to that in just one second, the truth or falsity of those statements, because here's the reality. On an, I'm trying to be as objective as I can, and you'll know. If I, if I say that a hearing is bad for Trump, I'll say that a hearing is bad for Trump. And if, if I think that a phone call was bad for Trump, I'll say it's bad for Trump. I at least try to analyze these things as, as objectively as I can, even though I think that the Democrats have not proven their case. I don't think that yesterday was particularly bad for Trump. I really don't think it hurt him in any serious way. The media are trying to spin it that way. I do not think that that is accurate. That's why they're they're sort of falling back on the line of the New York Times. History was watching. Yeah, well, history can watch all at once, but it hadn't happened yet. So, you know, come back to me in 20 years and we'll talk about how history watched. You don't even know who's going to win the next election. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the watch upon your wrist. Okay, so I have this brand new watch. Look at this thing. This is beautiful. This is a watch from Vincero. Vincero, check this thing out. It is spectacular, right? It's a really nice watch. And it will not cost you a fortune. This one is called The Rogue. It is a chronograph. I'm kind of a watch guy. I really do like watches. I like high-end watches. I like fashion watches. This is a really solid, durable, beautiful watch. It really is well-crafted. 
head over to VinceroWatches.com forward slash Shapiro to see my favorite picks. And don't forget to use code Shapiro at checkout for 15% off your entire order. I like Vincero watches so much, by the way. I just got one for my sister for her birthday. I gave one to my dad. You can engrave their watches, which is actually a pretty cool feature. In fact, Vincero sent me one that says, wait for it, facts don't care about your feelings on the back of the watch, which is an awesome feature when you're getting a gift for somebody for the holidays or for a birthday. I mean, we're coming up on the Christmas season, so it's a great time to get somebody a Vincero watch. From their small batch manufacturing process to their customer service, Vincero does everything in-house. Nothing is actually outsourced. Vincero believes that watches make a statement about you, and they do, right? A nice watch is something that catches the eye. It starts conversations. Plus, you feel good every time you look down and you see what time it is. People notice a watch if you wear one, so why not wear something nice? You really should check out Vincero today. The deal is too good to pass up. Go to VinceroWatches.com. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O Watches.com forward slash Shapiro and use code Shapiro to get 15% off. That is V-I-N-C-E-R-O Watches.com forward slash Shapiro. Use code Shapiro to get 15% off. They have a wide variety of styles, right? I got these. This is a little bit more sporty. The Rogue that I'm wearing. They've got other types of watch that are a little bit less sporty, but, but are great for dinner. They even have some automatic watches, which is really cool. If you're not a watch person, an automatic watch is one that's not run off battery power. It actually just charges off of the movement of your, of your wrist. So they've got all sorts of varieties, all sorts of colors. They've got for men, they've got for women. It really is fantastic. Go check them out right now at vincerowatches.com forward slash Shapiro. Use code Shapiro to get 15% off. Okay, so the Democrats thought they were going to have a big day yesterday, and it turned out not to be a big day for them yesterday. It started off with Adam Schiff at the very opening saying this this process was meant to be a punishment for criminal activity, not a punishment for political activity. But a lot of the testimony was based around the opposite idea, that a bunch of people who are in the foreign policy establishment didn't like Trump's foreign policy, and they were angry at Trump's foreign policy. And that's the real reason why they were going after Trump, right? The real reason they were going after Trump is because they disagreed with him withholding aid from Ukraine, And they couldn't see why he was doing it. And so they were mad about that. Now, does that mean that Trump was doing something that was corrupt? Or does it mean they just disagreed with him about the foreign policy? Here was Adam Schiff at the opening suggesting that impeachment was originally meant to be a punishment for criminal activity, which sort of cuts. Again, he hasn't proved any criminal activity here. Our answer to these questions will affect not only the future of this presidency, but the future of the presidency itself. And what kind of conduct or misconduct the American people may come to expect from their commander in chief. There are few actions as consequential as the impeachment of a president. While the founders did not intend that impeachment be employed for mere differences over policy, they also made impeachment a constitutional process that the Congress must utilize as necessary. Okay, so again, he's saying this is not a political thing, it's a criminal thing, and yet they have yet to bring forth the elements necessary to prove any sort of criminal abuse of power. Schiff, I I do love that Schiff is doing this routine where he pretends that he's reserving judgment. So yesterday... He simultaneously said that he's reserving judgment and also that Trump's abuse of power is terrible, which means he's not reserving judgment, obviously. Here's Adam Schiff suggesting that he is reserving judgment in all of this. That's right. He's opening an impeachment inquiry where he's reserving. Like, really, if you believe this, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn. It's available for just a couple of dollars and I can make this magic happen just for you right now. Here's Adam Schiff talking about reserving judgment. I'm reserving judgment uh, on the ultimate questions once the testimony is complete uh, about what should follow from this? What are the consequences? It is certainly the case that the founders were deeply concerned that a president of the United States one day may be elected to office that would put his or her interests above the country, that would sacrifice our national security, either to get a political or personal favor or owing to some foreign influence. 
Oh, he's, he's holding off on judgment. That sound, that's the sound of a man holding off on judgment, flanked by a bunch of other people holding off on judgment, namely Democrats who are going to vote for impeachment, right? And so, so listen, Adam, this thing's already been preset. We already know that. That's why when Devin Nunes, who is the Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, is the, the Republican leader on the, in the House Intelligence Committee, when he says that this is just a low-rent sequel to the Russia hoax, that has some credibility given the fact that it does feel like a partisan hit by Democrats. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't questions to be asked about Trump's behavior. I've said this all along. But does this feel like a partisan exercise? You bet your ass it feels like a partisan exercise. Here's Devin Nunes pointing this out. Ambassador Taylor and Mr. Kent, I'd like to welcome you here. I'd like to congratulate you for passing the Democrat Star Chamber auditions held for the last weeks in the basement of the Capitol. It seems you agreed, witting or unwittingly, to participate in a drama. But the main performance, the Russia hoax, has ended, and you've been cast in the low-rent Ukrainian sequel. Okay, so you know, and that's an overstatement because, again, we don't know exactly what all the evidence is, but there is a widespread perception in the United States, and I think that it's a well-based perception, that this is more of a partisan effort than it is really an effort to curb the misuse of the power of the presidency. Okay, so then we get to the actual testimony, and here is the problem for the Democrats. The actual testimony didn't really change anything. It didn't really change anything. So the only real bombshell yesterday is that Bill Taylor suggested that he heard somebody from his staff tell him about a conversation that he overheard with President Trump in which Trump was talking about investigations. And he didn't hear Trump's side of the conversation. Apparently, he only heard the person on the other side of the conversation. And this is Bill Taylor's account of this magical, magical conversation. So Taylor had suggested that there was a previously unknown effort by the president to make sure Ukraine was looking into his political opponents, a phone conversation he said Trump had with a top U.S. diplomat asking about the status of the investigations. But the diplomat was not Bill Taylor. And herein lies the problem. Right? Bill Taylor, their star witness, a man with reassuring gray hair. I mean, that hair, so reassuring. Yesterday, he, he says, listen, I can't tell you what was in Trump's head. I can tell you what I heard from people. What the hell does that, like, really? You can tell us what you heard from people? This would not make for good evidence in any criminal trial. I can tell you what I heard from people. Well, I can tell you what I heard from people. You can tell me what you heard from people. We can all talk about what we heard from people. And then we can all be reporters for TMZ. Like, what, what does this mean? Here's Bill Taylor. I can tell you what I heard from people. Very important stuff, what he heard from people. Mr. Goldman, what, what I can do um, here for you today is tell you what I heard from people. And in this case, it was what I heard from Ambassador Sondland. Um, he described conditions for the security assistance and the White House meeting in, in those terms. That is, that were dependent upon, conditioned on, um, pursuing these investigations. And you heard that from Ambassador Sondland himself, correct? Correct. Okay, so he can tell you what he heard from people, which is very exciting what he heard from people. Now, does that matter? It matters when they bring Sunland in, right? Because now they're going to say, well, either Taylor is lying or Sunland is lying or somebody's making mistakes somewhere in here. So it matters for Sunland. But does that go to Trump's state of mind? Not particularly, because again, Taylor has never had a conversation with Trump. And yet you had Taylor drawing these fantastical conclusions about Trump. I mean, these, these very strong conclusions about his perception of what Trump was doing. Listen, he can speculate as much as he wants and he can draw any conclusion he wants. It's a free country. And I'm not saying that his conclusion is implausible. All I'm saying is that his conclusion is based purely on conversations that he had with people who were not Donald Trump. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the status of your home right now. Is it, is it everything look good at home? 
You just did the floors nice, the walls are nice. And then you look around, something looks a little dingy. Yeah, it's the window coverings. You haven't thought about them, have you? Have you? Well, you should be thinking about them now since I've mentioned it. Go check out Blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, Blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality custom window coverings. Blinds.com makes the whole experience fast and easy. Plus, every single order gets free samples, free shipping, a free online design consultation. You just send them pictures of your, ho- of your home, and they will send back custom recommendations from a professional for what will work with your color scheme, furniture, and specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to ensure that everything looks as good in person as it does online and that every order gets free shipping. Here's the best part. If you accidentally mismeasure or you pick the wrong color, if you screw up, Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've made it really easy for you. Go check them out right now. For a limited time, my listeners get 20 bucks off at Blinds.com when you use promo code BEN. That is Blinds.com. Promo code Ben for 20 bucks off. Forward blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and more. Blinds.com. Promo code Ben. Rules and restrictions do indeed apply. Okay, so here is Bill Taylor drawing a very strong conclusion from the fact that he talked to people. To people. Here's Taylor saying, well, you know, Trump cares more about investigating Biden than Ukraine. How does he draw that conclusion? Well, he's talked to people, and those people have talked to people, and those people in turn have talked to other people who once talked to somebody who knew Trump. So your staff member over here is the president asking about the investigations, meaning... Burisma and the Bidens in 2016. And Ambassador Sondland told President Trump that the Ukrainians were ready to move forward? He did. And I think you said that after the call, when your staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought of Ukraine, his response was that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden. Is that right? And Burisma, yes, sir. Okay, so here is Taylor talking about what Sunland allegedly said to him. As I've said all along, Sunland's testimony is going to matter. I'm not sure that Bill Taylor's testimony matters a whole hell of a lot. The person in the crosshairs now is Sunland. And then Taylor said, well, I came to believe that because Sunland told me that. Okay, fine. Well, again, you're a third party. Okay, then Taylor says that Giuliani wanted to get Biden. That it was his perception that Giuliani was after Biden. He wasn't after investigating supposed corruption in 2016 or crowd strike. He wasn't after looking into the situation in Ukraine during 2016 and whether they were interfering in the election. No, Bill Taylor says, no, it was Giuliani, who's Trump's personal lawyer, who wanted to get Biden. You, Giuliani, promoting U.S. national interests or policy in Ukraine, Ambassador? I don't think so, ma'am. Mr. Kent? No, he was not. What interests do you believe he was uh, promoting, Mr. Kent? I believe he was looking to dig up political dirt against a potential rival in the next election cycle. Ambassador Taylor, what interest do you believe he was promoting? I agree with uh, Mr. Kent. Okay, so again, that is their perception, and that does not really make much of a difference. I'm sure the Democrats believe the same thing. I'm sure there are some people who, again, it's plausible, who believe that Giuliani's sole task in Ukraine was to dig up dirt on Biden, but that would not really explain why he was so concerned with, for example, the CrowdStrike server, which was an evidenceless conspiracy theory, nor does it really explain why he was concerned about Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election, because that has nothing to do with Biden. Right, so here's the question. Why was Giuliani spending time investigating those other things if it was all really about the Bidens? Okay, then there was George Kent. So George Kent is this undersecretary of state. He's the man who, who you will see if you subscribe to the show, who you will see sitting next to Bill Taylor. He doesn't get the same sort of enormous media plaudits that Taylor does, right? Because he wears a bow tie, which means that he doesn't have as much gravitas because bow ties don't have as much gravitas as reassuring gray hair, obviously. Well, Kent, he he basically suggested many of the same things that, that Taylor did, but he made some claims that were also a little bit 
outlandish. I mean, his, his testimony was a little bit more colorful, actually, which is, I think, why the media is not covering it so much. They said a couple of things that cut in favor of President Trump, and he said a couple of things that cut against President Trump. The first thing that he said is he was asked about conditions being placed on Ukrainian aid. And he said, yeah, conditions have always been placed on Ukrainian aid, which again is true and cuts in favor of the idea that the president has plenary power over placing conditions on Ukrainian aid so long as it is not a specific design to go after a domestic political opponent. Here is George Kent. There are and always have been conditionality placed on our sovereign loan guarantees for Ukraine. Conditions include anti-corruption reforms, as well as meeting larger stability goals and social safety nets. The International Monetary Fund does the same thing. Congress and the executive branch work together to put conditionality on some security assistance in the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. Okay, and that's true, right? It is true. Joe Biden put obvious conditions on the ability of Ukraine to receive loan guarantees, for example. The question here is whether it was legit or not. So when people say, well, Trump was withholding the aid, therefore something bad happened. Well, no, it depends on the purpose for which he was withholding the aid. Now, I said yesterday, and I've been saying for weeks, that this requires us to discern President Trump's intent. Was this about 2016, Ukrainian corruption? Was this about his anger that the media have decided that he won because of Russian interference? And so he was concerned about Ukrainian interference in the election. Was it him going off on some tangential conspiracy theory about 2016? Or was it specifically about Biden? If it was specifically about Biden in 2020, that's impeachable. If it's any of the others, it is not. And I said yesterday, I don't think that Trump had the requisite intent to go after Joe Biden because that does not sound like Trump. Now, I exaggerated a little bit. I said, well, I don't think Trump has the intent to eat a hamburger. Obviously, I am joking when I say that. But I think that the problem for Trump is that it is difficult to discern what the man's intent is because he doesn't tend to have large scale focused intent over long periods of time. He doesn't tend to have plans. He tends to have, as I said yesterday on the show, a sort of thought vomit when it comes to a lot of these issues. And, and this is the problem that Democrats have. You paint him as an idiot for years, right? You say that he's a moron for years. You say that he doesn't have the capacity to put together plans for years. And now you have swiveled and you are saying that he has this very specific plan to get Joe Biden. And not only does he have this plan to get Joe Biden and he has deployed Giuliani, he has told Giuliani to cover his tracks by asking about crowd strike and Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. And he has also told Sunland that he wants investigations into ancillary matters not involved with Biden just to cover his tracks. Does that, does that sound like Trump? Does that sound like Trump? Okay, well, even George Kent's testimony seems to suggest more that Rudy Giuliani was mucking things up than that Trump had specific intent to get Joe Biden, even though he believes that Trump had specific intent to get Joe Biden. Here is George Kent suggesting that it was really Giuliani's interference that was screwing with the president's head. Over the course of 2018 and 2019, I became increasingly aware of an effort by Rudy Giuliani and others, including his associates Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, to run a campaign to smear Ambassador Yovanovitch and other officials at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. The chief agitators on the Ukrainian side of this effort were some of those same corrupt former prosecutors I had encountered, particularly Yuri Lutsenko and Viktor Shokin. They were now peddling false information in order to extract revenge against those who had exposed their misconduct. Okay, so if that is the case, they were peddling false information and that that was being peddled to Giuliani, who was peddling it to Trump. Is that specific intent to get Joe Biden? Really? Because that, that, again, that the whole thing comes down to Trump's intent. Did he intend to get Joe Biden or was that part of his bigger ball of random thoughts about Ukraine and his, his general antipathy toward Ukraine? Okay, we're going to get to more of George Kent's testimony and then we'll get to the other issues plus the performance of the various players in this drama. We'll get to all of that in just one second. First, let's talk about keeping your home safe. So as you may know, 
I am now obsessive about safety. We just get all sorts of death threats. Unfortunately, I personally have been made the subject of, of many death threats just in the past couple of weeks alone. It's, it's just a party. All the time, it's a party. Well, that means that I am obsessed with security. And that's one of the reasons I have Ring.com. Ring helps you stay connected to your home from anywhere. If there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you get an alert. You're able to see, hear, speak to them all from your phone. If you're on the go this season, whether it's across town or across the country, you can check in any time for some much-needed holiday peace of mind. So I know exactly what is going on on my property, whether or not I am actually at my property, which is fantastic. As a listener, you have a special holiday offer on a Ring welcome kit available right now. With the Ring Video Doorbell 2 and a Chime Pro, the Ring Welcome Kit has everything you need to keep an eye on home, no matter what this holiday season brings. You don't have to be a high-profile public figure to worry about your safety at your house. And you should be worried about your safety at your house if you're a responsible human being and you have kids, for example, or you just don't want people messing around with your property. With Ring, you're always home. Just go to ring.com forward slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Additional terms may apply. Go check them out right now. It's a company I trust with my family safety, which is my number one issue. Ring.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so Back to George Kent and his testimony. So then George Kent gets into the vagaries of the sort of theories Trump and Giuliani were pursuing. And he says a couple of things. One of them is true and one of them, not so much. So here's the one that, the thing that he says that is true. He says there is no factual basis to the crowd strike theory. Now remember, if you go back to that June 25th phone call between President Trump and Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, what you see is that Trump is demanding a few things or requesting a few things. Requesting is probably more accurate from the transcript of the, or the, the, the memo that sort of summarizes the transcript of the phone call. So the, he, he, he requests a few things. One, he wants an investigation into Ukrainian corruption surrounding the 2016 election. Two, he wants an investigation into CrowdStrike because he has this weird theory that Hillary Clinton's server was actually not handed over to the FBI because it had been hacked by the Ukrainians, not by the Russians. And that CrowdStrike, the firm that did the actual analysis, is owned by a Ukrainian. And therefore, Hillary Clinton's actual server is buried somewhere in a forest outside of Kiev. OK, there's not a lot of evidence to that particular theory. And then there was his talk about Burisma and the Biden. So there are a few issues that got mentioned with regard to corruption in Ukraine and Trump's request for investigations. So here's George Kent correctly pointing out there is no factual basis to the crowd strike theory. This, of course, is true, but it does not go to whether Trump's belie Trump believes that it was true. Remember, let's say, for example, let's say for, for sake of argument that the crowd strike theory were true. Would it be in America's interest to know whether, in fact, the Ukrainians hacked Hillary Clinton's hard drive and the DNC hard drive? Would that be in America's interest to know? Yes, it certainly would. Well, just because Trump believed a bat bleep loony theory does not mean that he was out to get Joe Biden. In fact, it tends to support the idea that he was out to protect America's interests as he wrongly perceived them with regard to CrowdStrike. So here is George Kent knocking down the CrowdStrike theory. When he talks about this um, CrowdStrike and the server, what do you understand this to be a reference to? To be honest, I had not heard of CrowdStrike until I read this transcript on September 25th. Do you now understand what it relates to? I understand it has to do with uh, the uh, story that uh, there's a server with uh, missing emails. Uh, I also understand that one of the owners of, or, or, uh, of CrowdStrike is a Russian-American. I'm not aware of any Ukrainian connection to the company. Okay, and then Kent says something. So, so all of that is true. And then Kent is asked about Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. Now, here he's got a problem because the fact is that Politico reported, as did other outlets, that there was a nexus between the Ukrainian embassy and the Hillary Clinton campaign, and that a woman named Alexandra Chalupa had been visiting the Ukrainian embassy trying to dig up dirt on Paul Manafort. Okay, those are public reports from Politico. Here's George Kent saying there's no factual basis to claim that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. That may be true with regard to Ukraine and hacking into servers, but it is certainly not true with regard to their coordination with the DNC and Hillary Clinton. 
Now, are you aware that this is all part of a larger allegation that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election? Yes, that is my understanding. And to your knowledge, is there any factual basis to um, support the allegation that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election? To my knowledge, there is no factual basis, no. Okay, well, okay, how about to Politico's knowledge? How about to mainstream media reports? Because there are those reports out there. So unless he is firmly rebutting the Politico report, I'm not sure what he is talking about. Okay, so there you have the testimony. That is the summary of the testimony. Taylor and Kent basically saying that they they think very strongly. They have opinions, and those opinions are very strong opinions. And those very strong opinions mean that Trump did a very, very bad thing. The only thing that we got new from either of the testimonies here is Bill Taylor suggesting that he had an aide who overheard Gordon Sunland talking to Trump and talking about investigations and how the Ukrainians were going to accede to Trump's request so he should release the aid, right? That is the only thing that is new. That puts pressure on Gordon Sunland. But again, I'm, I'm wondering why it is that Bill Taylor is testifying as to what his aide heard from Sunland as opposed to, you know, the aide coming forward and testifying as to what he heard from Sunland. Because now we are not talking about a, even a secondhand report of what Trump said. We don't even know what Trump said on the other end of the line. All we know is that Apparently, according to Bill Taylor, Trump talked to Sunland. Sunland was at some sort of public restaurant. One of Taylor's aides was at the same restaurant and overheard Sunland's side of the conversation. And then the aide went and talked to Bill Taylor. So Bill Taylor is now three degrees removed from President Trump. I am more closely related to Kevin Bacon than that. And again, that doesn't mean that the account of the conversation is false. It just means that it doesn't say anything about what Trump was even saying on the other side of the conversation. And this is a point you're going to hear Republicans hammer home in just one moment. Because this really was the, the Republican counterattack was you're bringing forth these star witnesses and none of them have had, ever had a conversation with Trump. They're removed from the actual policymaking apparatus. And that, by the way, is their complaint, right? Their complaint is we were removed from the policymaking apparatus. We were not part of these conversations. So if you, you can't have it both ways. Either you're mad that you were not part of the conversations and therefore you are not privy to the inv- information that people who were part of the conversations are privy to. Or you were part of the conversation, but you don't have enough evidence to get Trump. So one of those two things is true. And both of them establish that you are not, in fact, star witnesses, that you are, in fact, just the best the Democrats can offer right now. Because the fact is that if you actually wanted to break down what was going on in Trump's mind, you need to talk to one of three or four people. Rudy Giuliani, Gordon Sunland, who will be called. You need to talk to Mick Mulvaney, maybe John Bolton. That's about it. I'm not aware that anybody else was privy to the mind of President Trump. And yet Democrats are try- and the media are trying out Bill Taylor, who, again, has never spoken to Trump. And George Kent, who has never spoken to Trump. You're going to hear Republicans hammer home this point, and it is a very telling point. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, it's about the time of year for open enrollment, and that means that you are checking out, you are looking right now at your life insurance policies. Well, good for you. You should. But if you think that that life insurance that you got right now from your employer is actually going to cover your needs, probably not. The fact is that most people need about 10 times the life insurance coverage they get through their jobs. And that means that your employer life insurance is leaving you underinsured. That's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for a life insurance plan that is not tied to your job. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. The life insurance you buy through Policy Genius also stays with you. It's not attached to your employer. So if, God forbid, you lose your job, you still have that life insurance policy. So when you're looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double check those life insurance options. By the way, if you have other insurance needs, you should also check out Policy Genius because they do home insurance and auto insurance and disability insurance. It's your one-stop shop for insurance, basically. Head on over to policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Insure yourself. That's what responsible human beings do. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Check them out at policygenius.com to get those quotes and apply in minutes. All righty, we're going to get to 
more of this because there's plenty more to get to, more analysis, the Republican fight back, the Democrats kind of blowing it. We'll get to that in a second. If you're not already a subscriber, however, you are really missing out. You need to subscribe. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. For as little as 10 bucks a month, you get all of our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts, our full show library, select bonus content, our exclusive Daily Wire app, which is in fact a pretty great feature if you haven't checked it out yet. If you choose the new all-access plan, you get all of that, plus the legendary Leftist Tears Tumblr and our brand new Ask Me Anything style discussion feature that allows you to engage our hosts, writers, and special guests on a weekly basis. By the way, how popular is this Leftist Tears Tumblr right here? This magnificent piece of vesselware? How great is it? It's so great that Elizabeth Warren is now copying it. She put out a mug that says on it, Billionaire's Tears. There's only one problem with that. The sales of those mugs are powered by Spotify. Uh, I, I believe it's, yeah, it's, it's Spotify, right? So, and Spotify happens to be owned by a billionaire. So Billionaire Tears, buy, buy a mug to catch Elizabeth Warren's Billionaire Tears in order so that the money can go to a billionaire. Pretty great cell phone there from from Elizabeth Warren. So Shopify, Shopify is, is the owner. Pretty spectacular stuff. In any case, if you want the original, the greatest, and the most accurate, go check out Daily Wire right now and get the subscription and get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Stop depriving yourself. Come join the fun. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so here's the problem, right? All of these witnesses, as I say, Taylor, Kent, these are people who are not first-hand witnesses to events that actually matter, right? They are second-hand witnesses to all of the actual information that is flowing. They are, they are third-hand, fourth-hand witnesses in some cases. And this is how you end up with the bizarre spectacle of one of the Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee, his name is Quigley, suggesting that hearsay can be better evidence than direct evidence, which is just, no, it, no, that's, that's incorrect, sir. Here is Representative Quigley. I think the American public needs to be reminded that countless people have been convicted on hearsay because the courts have routinely allowed and created needed exceptions to hearsay. Hearsay can be much better evidence than direct, as we have learned in painful instances, and it's certainly valid in, in, in this instance. Mm, nope. No, that's Mike Quigley from Illinois being a horrible lawyer, apparently. No, that, that is not right. Hearsay is generally not better than direct evidence. And when he talks about the exceptions to hearsay, exceptions to the hearsay rule generally include things like party admissions and statements against interest, but it actually has to include, you know, like the party themselves, not like a third party saying something or a dying declaration, which again comes directly from the party or past recollection record, right? These are some of the exceptions. None of those apply here. When we're talking here, say we're not just talking about like somebody said that Trump said, they're talking about somebody said that an aide said that Sunland said that Trump said, right? <laughs> no, that is not better than direct evidence. It certainly, certainly is not. Republicans hone in on this point, right? So Republicans are, are going to hammer down on, on all of this. Elise Stefanik, well, actually, let's start with, with Mike Turner. So Representative Mike Turner from, I believe, Ohio. He says, listen, you, you keep talking about Trump's thought processes. You've never actually met the president or had contact with the president, have you? Ambassador Taylor, is that you testified in your prior testimony that you have not had any contact with the president of the United States. Is that correct? That's correct, sir. Ms. Taylor, Mr. Kent, have you had any contact with the president of the United States? I have not. So... Not only no conversations with the President of the United States about Ukraine, you've not had any contact with the President of the United States, correct? That's correct. Okay. So you both know that this impeachment inquiry is about the President of the United States, don't you? I mean, the man that neither one of you have had any contact with, you're the first up witnesses. I, I just find that a little amazing that, that, that the first up would be two people who have uh, never had any contact with the President himself. 
Um, yes, th- this would be the operative point, right? And this is the this is the reason why I've been saying all along that if the Democrats actually wish to get Trump, they need to bring in people who spoke directly to Trump or Trump himself, right? Those are the only options here. Instead, they're bringing in Bill Taylor and George Kent, who have never met the president and never spoken to the president. Jim Jordan, the representative from Ohio, he made the exact same point. He said, "You guys are the star witnesses, right? They're, they're, they're hi- the Democrats are highlighting you as the star witnesses." You don't even know the person that you're testifying about. Here's Jim Jordan going after the same point. Ambassador, you weren't on the call, were you? The president, you didn't listen on President Trump's call and President Lissy's call? I did not. You've never talked with Chief of Staff Mulvaney? I never did. You never met the president? That's correct. You had three meetings again with Zelensky and it didn't come up. And two of those they had never heard about as far as I know. And President so there was Lissy, no reason for and it. President Zelensky never made an announcement. This, this is what I can't believe. And you're their star witness. You're their first witness. Mr. You're Jordan. the guy. You're the guy based on this, based on, I mean, I've seen, I've seen church prayer chains that are easier to understand than this. <laughs> and and that, that is absolutely true. I mean, you can even see, even Bill Taylor looks a little bit like flustered by this because of course it's true. I mean, listen, I know that his gray hair is reassuring, but it is also true that the guy has no actual inside information. He's not privy to the thought process that would make this bribery as opposed to just a normal exercise of foreign policy power in a way that the foreign policy, foreign policy establishment doesn't like. Or even, even if it's an abnormal exercise of foreign policy power, that doesn't make it an illegitimate as an impeachable form of foreign policy power exercise. Even if you think that it's bad, that doesn't make it impeachable. Now, I tend to think that this is bad policy based on bad information funneled by Rudy Giuliani. It doesn't make it impeachable. And trying to bring out witnesses who have no actual window into Trump's state of mind is definitely a bizarre move. Jordan really hammers this point home even more. He says, you know, let me just read you sort of the the chain of events here, and you try to explain it to me. Let me read it one more time. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 2019, in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. We got six people having four conversations in one sentence, and you just told me this is where you got your clear understanding. (laughs) That, that, That is, that again... I think this is what the American people are going to take away. Jordan doing an excellent job of, of pointing this out, or as Democrats, Democrats would claim, obfuscating the issue. But I think that that's actually a fair point, which is that these people are in a chain of communication that isn't the actual chain of communication that matters. And they acknowledge as such. Here's the thing. Both Taylor and Kent basically acknowledge they were outside the actual chain, the, uh, the unofficial chain of information upon which, was, uh, upon which Trump was making his decisions. Now, where Republicans are on a little bit weaker ground is when they try to argue that if the Democrats prove their case, it still would not be impeachable. So you have Elise Stefanik, who is uh, an excellent young congresswoman from New York, and she says, you know, there are a couple of key facts Democrats are ignoring here, and those key facts make it so that this is utterly unimpeachable conduct. I think this is an overstatement by Elise Stefanik. For the millions of Americans viewing today, the two most important facts are the following. Number one, Ukraine received the aid. Number two, there was, in fact, no investigation into Biden. Okay, well, that, that, that is not enough, right? Obviously, the accusation is that Trump was withholding the aid in order to achieve a particular foreign policy purpose. When that came to light, then he tried to backfill the problem, right? That's, that, that's not enough. And you're hearing Republicans repeat that point. So Republicans are deploying a few defenses. One is an obvious lawyer defense, which makes a lot of sense. You don't know Trump's intent. You don't know his state of mind. You don't know his motives. And trying to establish those motives through the testimony of somebody who once heard of Trump once ate at the same restaurant of Trump is not going to is not going to do it. And then you have the, the Republicans stronger defense. This is the one Trump wants them to push, which is he never did anything wrong. And that one, I think, is, is a lot harder to push. And John Ratcliffe tried to do the same thing. He said to the Democrats, you know, call out the impeachable offense. Like we're, we're going to need to hear the impeachable offense here. 
In this impeachment hearing today, where we impeach presidents for treason or bribery or other high crimes, where is the impeachable offense in that call? Are either of you here today to assert there was an impeachable offense in that call? Shout it out. Anyone? Okay, but he, it's, it's not just in that call, right? I mean, that, that, that is also uh, a bit of a misnomer. I'm just trying to analyze this fairly. Nobody is claiming that the call itself is the impeachable offense. They are claiming that the policy linked to the call for several months here was the impeachable, was the impeachable claim. Now, again, all that Trump has to do, like any good defense case, he doesn't have to prove that he is, quote unquote, innocent of any bad activity. He just has to show that he didn't do anything criminal. And the criminal activity at issue here is bribery, which includes an intent, right? It includes an intent. It is amazing. The Democrats will read intent out of the law when it is convenient to them, and they will read intent into the law when it is convenient to them. So Hillary Clinton takes classified information, puts it on her own personal homebrew server in her bathroom. And Jim Comey will say, no, 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 that's not prosecutable because she didn't have intent to expose that information to prying eyes. Sure, she had intent to misuse classified information, but she didn't have intent to expose that information to the Russians or to anybody else, to prying eyes. And he read an intent element that is not in the law into the law. And he said that based on precedent. Yeah, I think that that is a bad practice. I think it's arguable at best. Okay, and then Democrats will say, okay, well, yes, bribery requires intent, but we don't have to prove intent. We can just assume intent. Well, no, you can't. If you actually want to prove intent, you have to prove intent. Well, President Trump reacted to all of the hearings yesterday. He got a bit personal with Adam Schiff, of course. He said that uh, Adam Schiff had to bring in a ringer because he's not capable of doing his own questioning, which, of course, is sort of to Republicans, by the way, also brought in a ringer. So it's not a, not a perfectly fair statement. But here is Trump going after Schiff. I did not watch it. I'm, I'm too busy to watch it. It's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. I'm too busy to watch it. So... Uh... Uh, I'm sure I'll get a report. There's briefed? nothing. There's, I have not been briefed, no. There's nothing there. I see they're using lawyers uh, that are television lawyers. They took some guys off television, you know. I'm not surprised to see it because Schiff can't do his own questions. Okay, <laughs> it's Trump just taking a Schiff on Schiff. It's uh, pretty solid stuff right there from, from President Trump. What you would come to expect. Now, the only headline that may come out of this is that, remember, the, the, the only thing that's new in any of this testimony is Taylor testifying again. And one of his aides overheard Gordon Sunland, the ambassador to the EU, talking to Trump about investigations. Trump is asked about this and he says he doesn't remember any of the he doesn't remember any phone call referenced by Taylor here. I know nothing about that. First time I've heard it. The one thing I've seen that Sunland said was that uh, he did speak to me for a brief moment. And I said, no quid pro quo under any circumstances. And that's true. The other, I've never heard this. In any event, it's more secondhand information, but I've never heard it. Do you recall having a conversation? With I don't recall. No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, uh, the only thing, uh, and I guess uh, Sondland has stayed with his testimony, that there was no quid pro quo. Okay, so Trump is saying the only conversation I had with someone is one in which I explicitly told him that there was not a quid pro quo. Someone, of course, says he believes that there was, in fact, a quid pro quo. This could get Trump in trouble if someone were to get up and say, no, 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 I actually, there was a phone call and Taylor was right. And we did talk about in the investigations. You know, presumably Trump could just say, I didn't remember that conversation. Right? Trump could also theoretically say it was the same conversation as the one where I said no quid pro quo because you didn't hear my side of the conversation. But that is the only new news from this entire day is that Taylor claimed there was another call. Trump says he doesn't remember another call. So we'll find out the truth about that because someone's going to testify. Okay, so is any of this devastating or bombshell? Is anything that we've said so far a devastating bombshell tossed into the middle of impeachment? Or is it basically just Democrats putting on a TV show for people? And it's obvious which this is because you can see how the media are analyzing it. The New York Times, for example, called in their television critic 
to actually do an analysis of how this thing looked on TV. So we all know what this is. Right? It's, it's, it's made for TV drama. James Ponowizik, who is their TV critic, wrote a piece for the New York Times called A Tale of an Irregular Channel Playing on Many Channels. In the middle of the testimony of William B. Taylor Jr., the top American diplomat in Ukraine that opened the House impeachment hearings Wednesday, a guessing game broke out on social media. He sounded like someone, didn't he? His deep, assuring, steady voice reminded some people of Tom Brokaw. No, maybe it was Walter Cronkite, Edward R. Murrow. It's telling that all these comparisons were to old school news anchors because I think what people were hearing in Mr. Taylor's gravelly composure was the voice. Not so much of another person, but another time. A time of authoritative voices that a wide audience found credible. It was like a science fiction story in which someone turns on an old radio and hears a staticky broadcast from the past. Even the text of Mr. Taylor's introduction had a Cronkiteian ring. I am not here to take one side or the other, he said. My sole purpose is to provide facts as I know them. And that's the way it is. That this was, in fact, 2019, where there is no unified audience willing to accept a single way that anything is. And then he just goes on to talk about the optics of this whole thing. Because it's just like Walter Cronkite. And so, so again, the, the media are reviewing this thing from a television perspective. There's a whole column in the Washington Post by Robin Given, their fashion critic, suggesting that Jim Jordan needs to put on a jacket. Right? Obviously, the most important element of our times is whether, is whether Jim Jordan is wearing a jacket or not. By the way, Jim Jordan never wears a jacket. I mean, if you've ever, ever been in any of the hearings, I mean, I've testified in front of Jim Jordan in Congress. He does not wear a jacket. <laughs> this is not like something new. But she says, of course, Representative Jim Jordan took his seat Wednesday morning at the opening of the public impeachment hearings on Capitol Hill wearing nothing but his shirt sleeves, no suit jacket. That's how Jordan dresses. It's his power move, his sartorial chest thump. All the other members of the House Intelligence Committee turned up in suits and ties or other business attire, but not Jordan. Everyone else was willing to offer at least a symbolic nod to decorous formality, to that old-fashioned notion of civility. Jordan announced himself as the man who was itching to rumble. He was the guy who came not to do as the Constitution demands with measured deliberation, but to brawl. She could tell all this by the fact he wasn't wearing a suit jacket, which he never wears. I've met Jim Jordan several times. He has never worn a suit jacket. As far as I'm aware, I don't even know that he owns a suit jacket. The man probably buys his suit jacket and his pants separately at Macy's. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't do that. But apparently, according to the Washington Post, that's the big takeaway. The big takeaway from all of this, bombshell. Jim Jordan doesn't wear jackets. Jordan has a reputation for rarely wearing a suit jacket, the Washington Post acknowledges. A Twitter account is dedicated to his jacketlessness. He's the man on the dais who refuses to show witnesses the same respect they, inev they inevitably show to him and to the circumstances. Typically, men who are called to testify before Congress wear a suit. They recognize the seriousness of the situation and they dignify it. Even Mark Zuckerberg, who almost single-handedly made hoodies and t-shirts the uniform of the modern mogul, wears a suit. When comedian Hassan Minhaj went to Capitol Hill to discuss student loan debt, he also wore a suit. The extras in the audience... As the impeachment drama unfolded, we're wearing suit jackets. The witnesses were in suit jackets. But Jordan, in his role as representative of the American people, couldn't be bothered to suit up. When Jordan was interviewed recently by a Wall Street Journal reporter about why he doesn't wear a jacket, he said, quote, I'm not even sure. I don't know why. But of course, that was disingenuous. After a pause, he admitted he does wear a jacket when the rules require him to do so, as when he's on the House floor. And he wears a jacket when he aims to be respectful, such as when he is in the company of the president or on a visit to the White House. Presumably, he doesn't consider sitting alongside his colleagues during a matter of national importance to be a situation that deserves his high regard. I remember that time when uh, Barack Obama didn't wear a jacket in the Oval Office, and some people were like, oh, that's, that's terrible that he didn't do that. Ronald Reagan always used to put on a jacket, and people were like, how dare you say that about Barack Obama? How dare you? Now it's Jim Jordan doesn't wear a jacket, and it's the end of the world. By the way, I just should point out that 
despite the fact there was no devastating bombshell testimony yesterday. Listen to CBS talk about the devastating bombshell testimony yesterday. And there we have it. Day one of the first public hearings in terms of impeachment inquiry against President Donald Trump are now in the history books. Some devastating testimony today from two of America's most respected diplomats who have served both Republican and Democratic presidents. Oh, bombshell. So testimony. Yeah, except that nothing new happened. And that's the real story of yesterday. Okay, time for a thing I like and then a quick thing that I hate. So things that I like today. So I was watching old movies while I was on my trip to Boston. And I watched, it was, it was streaming on Prime, uh, Saturday Night Fever, which I'd never seen. It's sort of a classic movie from the 1970s with a very, very young John Travolta. The movie's actually quite good. Right? It's been parodied so much in, in movies like Airplane that you forget that the movie is actually pretty good. It also is a relic of a time. And when you watch it, you realize that that time, the 1970s, as scuzzy and terrible as it was in a wide variety of ways, that... Our sensitivities now would not allow a movie like this to be made. It wouldn't. I mean, John Travolta, his character, spoiler alert from a movie that is, that is nearly 50 years old at this point, but spoiler alert, John Travolta at one point attempts to nearly rape a, a female character in the movie, and she ends up being friends with him at the end of the movie. That would certainly not be allowed in a movie today. It's a very gritty movie, and people forget how gritty the movie is because it's about disco. But here is a, a little bit of the preview for Saturday Night Fever. Very iconic stuff. John Travolta walking down the street and, and the playing of the Bee Gees and, and all of this sort of stuff. But the movie is a pretty good examination of sort of Brooklyn life circa 1977. And uh, it's, a, it's a good reminder that cultural sub, uh, that, that sort of cultural breakdown can happen in virtually any community, right? This is really a movie about cultural breakdown, about the, the evils of the sexual revolution. It's actually quite a conservative film <laughs> when you come right down to it. So if you, if, you, if you don't remember that, it's worth checking out again, the movie Saturday Night Fever. Plus, the dancing is actually pretty good, right? John Travolta actually could dance back in the day. All right, time for a quick thing that I hate. Okay, so quick things that I hate. Well, first of all, I just, it's sort of a thing that I like. So I showed up at Boston University last night. It was great. 1,500 students came out, packed house. It was in the Boston uh, Athletic Arena, which was pretty cool. It was, it was kind of a neat setting. Uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of protesters showed up outside, which is I mean, more power to them. I said last night, like, if you show up in 20-degree weather to actually protest, more power to you. Because I've been to so many schools where it is cold and protesters say they're going to show up and then they chicken out. So at least in Boston, they have the power of their convictions. Uh, they, they were protesting me, suggesting that I was a racist because the name of the speech was America wasn't built on slavery, it was built on freedom. They were suggesting I was going to make light of slavery. I then spent 45 minutes explaining the role of slavery in America's history, its great evil, and the transition away from slavery, and America's defeat of slavery and defeat of Jim Crow segregation. And so it didn't go quite how the left thought it was going to go because the left has this weird picture of conservatives as people who deny American history, which, of course, is not true. It is the left that frequently denies American history in favor of a darker version of American history that simply isn't true. Uh, there, are, there are a bunch of protesters uh, for, of all sides. There are some people who, who showed up from sort of the, the nationalist conservative side of the aisle. There were a few alt-righters who showed up as well. There were some people who there's a transgender protester. There, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of fun. But. This is sort of, this is how things should go on campus, right? It was an open conversation. Everybody had a good time. But that is not what is happening on our college campuses. Now, it is very, very, very bad, obviously, if you allow this sort of thing to go on. The University of Florida has a student body president. And this, flu, this student body president is now apparently facing impeachment for allowing Donald Trump Jr. to speak on campus. 
His book is number one on the New York Times bestseller list. He's obviously a public figure. All sorts of public figures get to speak on college campuses, particularly public college campuses like the University of Florida. Now the student body president is facing impeachment. According to the New York Times, a sitting president is facing impeachment, accused of collusion and abusing his power. Support falls along political lines. The opposition party is determined to remove him. His allies maintain he did nothing wrong. But this impeachment inquiry is taking place far from Washington. Even though the football stadium known as the Swamp looms nearby, student representatives at the University of Florida introduced a bill on Tuesday to impeach Michael Murphy, the student body president, accusing him of improperly using student fees to pay one of President Trump's sons to speak on campus. It all began when Mr. Murphy, a senior, invited Donald Trump Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle, a former Fox News host and advisor to the president's campaign, to speak on campus and paid them 50 grand with university funds. Some students say the payment was a violation of the student senate code and possibly the law. The backlash intensified after the campus newspaper, the independent Florida Alligator, published emails showing that Murphy had spoken with a consultant for Trump's re-election campaign to set up the visit and that Mr. Murphy had attended Trump's inauguration. Okay, does any of that mean it's illegitimate to invite a public figure like Donald Trump Jr. to your campus? Not that I am aware of. By the way, how many payments have been made to left-wing speakers at the University of Florida? I would suggest more than a few. Students who drafted the impeachment bill personally handed Murphy a copy of it on Tuesday night. They argue in the bill that Murphy's use of student funds violates the student Senate code, which forbids spending student fees to support a political party. Yeah, except that Donald Trump Jr. isn't running for office. So this has led to this sour split on campus. Jared Rodriguez is a junior and treasurer for the University of Florida College Republicans. He said that this move is, quote, a mirror image of the partisan politics at the national level. He said he attended the talk and never viewed it as a campaign event. The drive to oust Mr. Murphy, he said, showed that the opposition party would look for anything to remove the elected president. He said, I think they have no cigar in both cases. But again, the, the idea here is that if you, the, the real problem, of course, is that they don't want Trump Jr. speaking on campus, right? I mean, that's, that's really what this is about, just like all these Boston University students didn't want me speaking on campus. They don't want conservatives speaking on campus. Doesn't matter if it's Trump, doesn't matter if it's me. Nobody. They, they don't want anybody there. And it doesn't matter what the people say, by the way, like at all. Again, I spoke at Stanford last week and protesters shouted for me to leave while I was ripping into Nazis. I mean, it's unbelievable. So this is just the latest iteration of campus radicalism. It is stupid. It is ridiculous. And it is, it is contrary to the, the goal of a university in the first place. Thank you, by the way, to Boston University for making sure that the event could happen in safety and security. The administration did a fine job over there. Alrighty, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content. Plus, check us out tonight over at dailywire.com. The reason you should, well, if you subscribe, then you get full access to our Daily Wire backstage, which will be discussing impeachment and many other issues of the day. It should be a lot of fun. And if you are a subscriber, then you get to ask the questions and you get all the goodies behind the paywall. So go do that right now. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On The Matt Wall Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation. 
We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 